Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 84. This evening we are beginning a shorter series on the second collection of the Psalms of the Sons of Korah, which are uh, found uh, beginning here in Psalm 84. And in continuing on, you may remember um, not too long ago we looked at the Psalms of the Sons of Korah that were found in Psalms 42 through 49. And so this evening we'll be looking at a, another collection and we'll see some similar themes, but also uh, some new uh, ideas as well. Psalm 84. For the choir director on the Gittith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts! My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The bird also has found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. How blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. How blessed is the man whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God, and look upon the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, how blessed is the man who trusts in you. Homesickness is a feeling that we may not experience very often. It's probably more commonly experienced among children who are away from home for the first time. Perhaps it's their first week at a summer camp and it's the first time that they've been away from their parents. And at some point during the week, they find in themselves a deep desire to not be where they are a deep desire to be back at home with mom and dad, to be back in their own bedrooms, to be back in what is familiar. Although perhaps adults may know something of this as well, adults who have had to uh, become transplanted at, at some point in their lives, having grown up perhaps for decades in a certain place, and then they move far away, and they move without ever expecting to return. And there can be a, a longing to return, to go back. As Christians, <clears throat> we are to be filled with a certain kind of homesickness, and that homesickness is expressed in this psalm, a desire for home. Yet the home that is desired is not uh, the place necessarily where you grew up, but rather it's to be with the Lord. To be in the Lord's presence, that that is the home that the Christian longs for. 
And so as we consider this text this evening, let us consider just how lovely a home this is and why it is so desirable. And in considering it, my desire is that it would stir up within you a greater longing to be with the Lord, to be in the Lord's presence. But first we need to answer the question, where is then this home? As we read the Old Testament, we recognize that there was a tabernacle and a temple that the saints could go to, and of that speaks our text, that there's an immediate location where the psalmist could go and behold the presence of God. And yet we recognize that that's not where we are at in the history of salvation, that we no longer go to a, a particular place, a temple in Jerusalem. So where, where is home? We might answer this question by defining home in terms of the Lord's presence. That as the psalmist longs to enter into the Lord's corpse and dwelling places, it's precisely because it is the Lord's dwelling place that he wants to go there. It's not the, the, the bare geography or architecture as such that is so desirable, but it's the presence of God within that place that makes it so desirable. So you see in verse 1, how lovely are your dwelling places, that the psalmist desires the dwelling places precisely because this is where the Lord is to be found. And so as we think about our own context and situation, we can recognize that there are, at least for our sermon this evening, three ways that we could understand the Lord's dwelling place. Three three ways that we could interpret this and long for to be present with the Lord. So we'll consider the Lord's dwelling place first as the assembly of the saints in worship. What we're doing here this evening, when the saints gather together, the Lord is present with his people in a special way. And so there is, there's a longing for that. There's a longing to be with God's people week by week, Sunday by Sunday, to be present there with the Lord, worshiping him. But secondly, we can recognize further that there is a desire to be with Christ, which we uh, will call the intermediate state, or is, which is commonly called heaven, where the soul goes after death, and that this too is part of the Christian's homesickness, this longing and desire to be in the presence of Christ. And thirdly, we can consider how the age to come, when the church is revealed in all her glory, and she beholds uh, uh, in the resurrection the face of her Savior, how this too also will be to be in the Lord's tabernacles, to be in his presence worshiping him. So let's consider then this evening the loveliness of those uh, three dwelling places, which are all, which all have in common the fact that the Lord is present. So consider first the gathering of the saints for worship. As we gather together each week, it's, it's easy to become very familiar with what's going on, and it doesn't seem like there's anything extraordinary taking place. It's a familiar building. 
It's the same, same pews every week. It lacks the, the splendor of Solomon's temple in terms of an outward visible kind of glory, although there is here present in an unseen glory that far uh, <clears throat> that goes beyond the 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 gemstones and the gold floor of Solomon's temple. We come here perhaps during the week on a Wednesday evening. It seems like it's a, a common room, a common building. And it's easy to begin to think as we meet here for worship on Sundays that maybe there's not anything particularly special going on. And yet, as we assemble as the church, Scripture teaches us that God is present with us in a special way. We recognize that God is everywhere present. He's omnipresent. But there's a special way in which he comes to and is with his church when they assemble for worship. So that Paul can write when uh, the Corinthian church is gathering and if prophecy is taking place, that an unbeliever can come into their presence and as his heart is, is the secret things of his heart are, are revealed, he can fall on his face and worship God and say, surely God is among you. And so as we meet together in worship, as we uh, follow the ordinances that have been given to the church to assemble together to worship our Lord week by week, we recognize that there's, there's something more going on here than, than meets the eye. No, we don't visibly behold the glory as Solomon would have seen in the temple. And yet, by faith, we do perceive the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we know that he is present among us according to his promise. And that by his Spirit, he is with us. And so as we gather we are desiring the courts of the Lord week by week as we desire to assemble for worship because this is where Christ has promised to meet with his people. And consider how wonderful a thing it is to meet together on the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day is like a weekly jubilee. Under the Old Testament, slaves were not to be kept longer than seven years. They were to be released in their seventh year. And after seven sets of seven years, there was also to be a, a forgiveness of, of debts, a return to the inheritance. And now for the church, week by week, on the Lord's Day, is proclaimed to you a message of release, of freedom. As the church gathers together in the presence of God, we hear this message, that our sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. Because we belong to Christ and because Christ is present with us, this makes the assembly of the church where the gospel is preached the loveliest thing on earth. The church becomes, as she meets together, Christ present with her, leaning on her beloved. She wins the hearts of men. The nations ask her, Where has your beloved gone, O most beautiful among women? Where has your beloved turned that we may seek him with you? As the church gathers together, the nations see her as the most beautiful among women. And they ask her, where has your beloved gone? Because we want to go after him too. 
The assembly of the saints is where God meets is so lovely because it is where the gospel is preached. It is where the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed, that God has put away his wrath and that he is willing to be reconciled to sinners. And it is this message that draws the world in, that makes them say, oh, most beautiful among women. Oh, how lovely are the dwelling places of the Lord of hosts, where he has chosen to dwell, where he has given this message, the gospel. Where has your beloved gone that we may go after him? So the church is a beautiful place because she reflects her beautiful Savior and has that beautiful gospel message. She is the most beautiful among women. She is the lovely courts of the Lord. It is the place where God's praises are sung. The assembled church, as, just as in the Old Testament, there was the worship, <clears throat> the worship of the Levites, the musical worship that was conducted, the sons of Korah, being among those who participate in, participated in the worship. So in our present time, this is where true worship takes place as the church meets together. This end for which God created us, God created us to worship him. And it's particularly within the church that this takes place, where humans become most fully human. That's what makes the church beautiful, because mankind then comes to do what we were created to do, to worship our Lord. And so meeting together as the church, as the Lord's dwelling place, is a beautiful and excellent thing which we ought to desire deeply. Our psalm tells us, uh, the psalmist tells us, that he would rather spend one day within the presence of the Lord than a thousand days elsewhere. And we might think of that language and, and consider the following uh, offer that somebody might make to you. What if somebody could offer to you to expand or to extend your life by a thousandfold? What would it be like to live for that long? You'll get to live for thousands of years or tens of thousands, 70,000 years. There's one catch. You can never go to church again. Is that an offer you would accept? Would you be kept from the courts of the Lord? Or would you say that no one day in the courts of the Lord is better than a thousand elsewhere? That I would rather have an ordinary lifespan, a shortened lifespan even, in which I am regularly able to gather with the saints and worship the Lord than to enjoy a, an ex, a, an, uh, unusually extended life on this earth if that meant being kept away from the presence of God. So, week to week, we are homesick for the Lord's presence, for the gathering of the saints on the Lord's Day. But then we can consider not just week to week, but we can also consider 
that the entirety of our lives is being marked by a homesickness for the presence of Christ and to enter into his courts. We must consider that Jesus himself is the temple and that the church by extension becomes the temple as they are built on him, the chief cornerstone, but that Jesus Christ himself is where God's presence is to be found and so that we deeply long and desire to see Jesus. We are homesick to be present with him. And we are taught in Scripture that even while we are present with Christ in a, a special way as we assemble together as the church, there also awaits for us a beholding of Christ, a being with Christ after death. Upon death, our souls are brought into the presence of our Savior. And we have many questions that we might ask about the intermediate state of Christians. What, what is it like to be a disembodied soul between death and the resurrection. We might have questions like, how does a soul without a body perceive what's around it? What will we do during that time? How will we spend our time? What will our surroundings be? What will, what will it look like? If we're not stationary, where else will we go? <clears throat> and how will we go? How will we move about if if we do move about? And what will our perception of the passage of time feel like? Will it, will it be like it is now, or will it feel accelerated or, or dilated? Many questions that we might have, and scriptures don't answer all of the questions that we might come up with, but it, it tells us enough, and what it does tells, tell us is that for Christians, that upon death, we will be with Christ. This is perhaps the defining characteristic of the intermediate state, or it is the defining characteristic for those who die in the Lord, is that they will be with their Savior. Paul writes, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. For that is very much better, much better by far. That the apostle looks forward to a time where he will be, uh, upon his death, brought into the presence of Christ. And that, he says, is far better, a far more uh, delightful prospect. And yet, because he will seek the advantage of the Philippians, he will go on being fruitful in this life. And yet, the, the key point to recognize there is that there is, there is an advancement that Paul was looking forward to, an advancement into the presence of Christ that lay before him, which was much better by far. Again, Paul <clears throat> writes in 2 Corinthians, So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yet we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That at present, our, our bodies are, are like a home for us in which we inhabit. 
but when we put off the body, we will go and be with Christ. And that this is a comforting and desirous prospect for the Christian, to be in the presence of Christ upon death. We can consider also Stephen being stoned to death in his words, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Beholding Christ and then asking Christ to receive his spirit, the anticipation that his spirit will go and be with Christ upon his death. And again, the writer to the Hebrews, you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. The spirits of the righteous made perfect are there present in this festal gathering, uh, even with the angels in the presence of of Christ. And so this becomes the Christian's deep yearning. In this life, we are on pilgrimage. And in this life, there are many tears. There is passing through the valley of Baca, the passing through the valley of weeping. And yet the Lord sustains us, and we move from strength to strength until we appear before God in Zion. There is a heavenly Zion of which scripture speaks, a heavenly Jerusalem, where the saints who have already died have gone to be present before the Lord in the presence of Christ. And so this is part of our longing, our desire, is to see Christ. How lovely and how excellent a thing it is to be able to say to be with Christ is very much better that we continue on in this life, we continue on pilgrimage, and yet we look forward to a a beholding of Christ, which is very much better than what we currently are enjoying. The quality of that life, again, is most excellent. One day in that life uh, excels a thousand elsewhere, excels a thousand here on earth. Yet we must consider further that scripture teaches us more about the presence of God, that for us to be in the presence of Christ as souls departed from bodies is not the final state of the Christian, that there lies before us something more and something better namely resurrection life, in which we will be brought into the presence of Christ and we will enjoy, with resurrected bodies, the presence of Christ in the new creation. And even as we think about what life might be like in the intermediate state, and we might have all of these questions, we might begin to say, well, uh, the resurrection might seem easier to understand because at least we'll have our bodies back. At least we'll, we'll understand what it's like to be a, a body in the presence of Christ. And yet I think there are even more questions. It's, it's, it's even more mysterious, more enchanting to consider the, the age to come than the intermediate state. 
because even the, even the quality of the, the body will have been transformed, that there will be a, a spiritual body, a body that has been made like unto Christ's body that is incorruptible. It will not be life just like it is now as you've always known it, except without sicknesses and colds and not getting older. There will be life in the Spirit, where the Spirit transforms uh, our bodies and really transforms the whole cosmos, bringing the, all of creation to its end, consummate end, in Jesus Christ. And so our minds are, are filled again with questions of what will that be like? And there's much that we don't know. But again, the defining characteristic is that Christ will be present. That as John describes the, the bride of Christ, the city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven, having the glory of God, that in the midst of this, uh, midst of this holy temple, holy city, there is the Lamb that the Lamb is the light of the city, the Lamb is the glory of the city, that the glory of the Lamb radiates out from the city, such that the city has the glory of God. And this ultimately is the presence of God that we long for most deeply. At the end of the age, when Christ returns, when the church is revealed, the church as the temple which is built upon Christ the cornerstone. It is for those courts that we long with deep, homesick desire. Every joy that we know in this life is a shadow cast by that blessedness. Is a wedding or is a marriage joyful? Well, then it is but the spark ascending from a forest fire. Any, any joyful wedding, any joyful occasion on this earth is, is like a spark rising from a forest fire. The spark is, is passing, short-lived, small, and it owes its existence to a much hotter, eternal blaze, the love of Christ for his church. We taste many joys in this world. We see many sights, a beautiful sunset that paints the sky in amazing colors with uh, textures that we hadn't imagined. And yet as we contemplate that city, we know that we are only moving closer to the fountain of all that enchants us now, of all that we find beautiful, of all that brings us joy in this life. To be with Christ in the age to come is to move to the source and fountain of all goodness. And so these are the courts that we long for, the presence of Christ in the age to come. <clears throat> Put these highways into your heart. Consider them. Go on pilgrimage. Go on pilgrimage even through the valley of weeping. But as you go, turn it <clears throat> as you go, turn it into a place of springs, as you anticipate your arrival in Zion. Let's pray together.
Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for this uh, hope that has been set before us, that we shall be with Christ in glory, and that we shall be with him upon our death, and that we are with him now even as we meet together as your church. We ask that you would fill us with this hope, that you would comfort us as we do go on pilgrimage through the valley of weeping. We ask that you would look upon your anointed, your Messiah, that you would remember all of the promises that you have made to us on his account, and that you would bring those promises to fulfillment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.